Welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Foti. And this is Ari. And we want to welcome you to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Where we interview fun and exciting guests and learn more about their lives while sipping various amazing wines. Mm. On today's episode, we chat with our good friend Paul Delios of Cane's Donuts. Paul tells us about his life as a chef, a businessman, and current donut magnate. Pour yourself a glass and let's get to know Paul. So today we have uh, one of our dear friends, uh, Paul Delios of Cane's Donuts, on the show with us. And uh, it's a pleasure and honor to have you here to begin with. Well, it's an honor to be here. Um, Foti, I greatly appreciate you having me on the show. And, and you know, I've known you for quite some time. Um, I've known you for maybe 15, 16 years. You guys have a long history together from back when I first met you. I remember you talking about Paul. Where, where did you guys first meet? I'm the senior citizen over there. <laughs> and it was over 20 years ago. Wow. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Time flies. Do huh? you remember when you first met? Actually, yes, I do. I th- it was a, a... We were formulating the plans to... Open up uh, Meze Estiatorio in Charlestown. So Meze Estiatorio, can you guys give us a really brief, uh, what was that? Uh, I think it was a restaurant uh, ahead of its time, <laughs> you th- oh, right? Man. Ahead of its time, yeah. Besides, it was I- a restaurant, obviously, <laughs> right? But uh, it was a um, a collaboration between a group of us. Yeah. Right? And uh, it was a pretty, it was a high-end restaurant, wasn't it? High-end restaurant. I don't like to use the word high-end. Well, but it was, it, we were doing very contemporary food. Uh, you know, it was traditional Greek dishes, but the spin on it was to plate and and infuse the dishes with uh, what's being done today with other cuisines. Yeah, yeah, you guys were yeah, you guys were pretty yeah. much ahead of your time there, and it was in a very trendy, swanky area in Charlestown. It, it yes. was uh, Charlestown at the time was very much up and coming. Yeah, um, you know, for example, we took something as simple as a Greek village salad, and we stacked it up with the presentation. And oh, so, I remember that. I remember. Yeah. I remember the pictures of that. And I was always like, I've been eating Greek salads my whole life, and I was like, that. Well, is it was. A it, was it was kind of a, a play with people would bring this stacked salad with all the different vegetables and the tomatoes and cukes and everything all stacked up, and the server would come to the table, put the fork in it, and slice it right down the center, and everything would break into wedges. So you got you guys had like. The whole presentation oh. down. You had like the style. Uh, it was it, it was a it very was, cool place. It was place. well thought out. So that that's where you guys met. We did. We met there through and you mutual formed, friends. You formed a you know a relationship, you know, a bond. Uh, yeah. Because you guys have been doing you know, stuff together brother, ever since. Younger brother, you yeah. know, that kind of deal. And you know, I have to tell you to just to go back a little bit to the days when Forty and I first, uh, um, you know, got introduced to each other. We had to formulate the wine list for the restaurant. Mm. So, Foti, uh, through the different wine purveyors, brought in probably about 600 bottles of wine. Oh, Jesus. So, every day for about a month, we would sit back and <laughs> test bottles of wine. And were you t- t- tasting uh, properly or spitting <laughs> back out? Or? It depends what time <laughs> well, of day it was. It was just, you know, it was one of those situations where... By the end of the evening, after we got through tasting the wine, we're kind of leaning on each other to, to to sit straight up. It was just, 
it was a fun job yeah, though. Somebody had to do it, you know. Not, it sounds it was, like it was a good time. <laughs> it really it was. was it, was, it, it was, was fun. It was, you know, good memories. Uh, it was a, it was a fun time. While I, we I remember that. I remember visiting the the restaurant and just saying, "Wow, this is a, such a cool place and um, great layout." Uh, everybody involved like seemed to know what they're doing. You were the chef and you made some incredible plates there. Fatih was the bar wine wine director, wine director, um, and and great selection. Everybody used to talk about it. It was, it was a cool place. I'm just going to jump in for a second and say that, you know, Foti is very modest about this, but he did get a Wine Spectator's uh, oh, Award wow. of Excellence uh, for the wine list that, well, that we put together at the, uh, at, at the restaurant. Well, th- this is why we partnered together on a, on a wine club. Yeah, <laughs> incidentally, <laughs> incidentally, I need to take a little sip I because think, yeah. uh, <laughs> we're drinking Moscofilado for you folks at home. So uh, what are you drinking, Paul? Moscofilado. So that's a nice uh, dry white wine from Greece that's uh, oh. very pleasurable and enjoyable. It's delicious. What about you, Ari? What's in your glass? I don't know. You poured it for me. I think. Because I'm, I'm, I'm the outside guy. I'm, uh, I'm, let me I'm see. learning about wine just like everybody out there. I think he's got the Moscofilado as well. Do you taste that little bit of green apple in that? I do. I do. It's good. <laughs> so Moscofilero, for those folks at home that uh, have never had it, it's uh, kind of light in style. It's crisp. Uh, some people say it can taste like a Pinot Grigio. Mm. Uh, other people say it, it can taste like almost like a Sauv. Uh, but, you know, it's Definitely. this particular one, um, it's uh, very light. It's crisp. It's got a little green apple and not too much minerality to it. Um, what do you think, Forti? I think it's great, refreshing. Um, it is goes, that, is it, it a popular down. wine here? Uh, it's, it's, is it a popular wine in it's, Greece? It's popular in Greece. It's it's um, kind of rare and unique in in this market, meaning the do U.S. You, do you feel that non-Greeks in like the American market are buying or trying this wine? Uh, only at the restaurant level. In my opinion, it's uh, that's basically where, where folks get their first experiences. Uh, restaurants that are either... Um, Greek inspired. They have a Greek menu, or there is someone on the team that's Greek that will bring uh, Moscofilo to their wine program. But that's, I think, the first port of entry for uh, guests is to try uh, Moscofilo. It's not that really available in most markets, but you know where it is. For those that do try it, they do enjoy it. So, everyone out there listening, uh, if you have the opportunity, get out there and try it. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely worth a try. It's a we delicious. like it. Yeah. Um, okay, so you guys met at Meze, uh, and what happened next? Where did you guys go from there? Uh, so the, thanks to the uh, the popularity of the restaurant, and, which was uh, it was very popular. You know, it, it opened a lot of doors for a lot, a lot of us. Um, you know, we started to kind of venture off into different projects, um, myself included, uh, moving on to other wine ventures, and then Paul. I mean, I mean, Paul took a, uh, a direction uh, that really catapulted him out there not just boston based not even i think u.s based but i gotta say globally based with uh his involvement with Keynes donuts well Keynes. uh so did we did we talk about that paul is the founder owner or is your parents my well he's not just a donut guy <laughs> well we, we know we, we'll, we'll get into that we know that but i'm trying to Thanks. Well, Cane's Donuts is a 65-year-old iconic business. Um, we've been uh, in Bon Appetit magazine. We've been on the Food Network, the Travel Channel. Uh, it is one of the most iconic donut shops in America. 
Yeah, and, and, uh, and from everything that I've seen and read and being a local here, it, everybody knows it. Well, we've, you know, I took, I took a mom and pop operation that was, that was uh, my mother and father uh, had purchased um, back in the 80s, and I introduced what I knew from being a chef which was the use of fresh local ingredients mm. in everything that we do. Which is so popular nowadays. Well, it's, I think not only is it popular, Ari, but it's, it's important because I think parents, when they're feeding their kids or their family, they, they want to make sure that you know, the products that are going into them are going to be some of the cleanest and best mm -hmm. that they can, they can give their kids. Yeah. So we use everything from uh, you know, all-natural organic honey to locally milled wheat uh, organic eggs, uh, as well as um, dairy. All, all the dairy that we use is local. That's very important to know because, you know, some people out there that don't really know, you know, you just hear donut and you're like, oh, yeah, well, I've had good donuts, blah, blah, blah. But me, for example, my wife, my sister, um, if they know the, 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 the ingredients you use, organic and, and local and this and that, they will be drawn right to canes right off the bat above everybody else. Well, as they should, as they should, yeah. You know, and you mentioned a couple of key things your wife and your sister. <laughs> Women make 80% of the decisions. 100% when it, my family. All right. Well, they, you know, they make the decisions about where they're going to take the kids, where they're going to eat. Yep. How many times you have a guy that, that uh, comes home and he says, Honey, uh, what would you like to eat tonight? And she says, oh, what's for dinner? And she says, well, I was thinking maybe we can go out. And the husband says, oh, all right, yeah, that sounds good. And she picks out the restaurant oh, she yeah. wants well, to go I, to. Can I add to that? Yeah, yeah that, that, absolutely. That Do you have any experience that, about that, that statistic that you just mentioned is, goes, is true for also when it comes time to decide on what wine to get at a restaurant. 80% of the time it's the woman that actually makes the decision on what wine they're going to have. I would agree. Given given our history in the restaurant business, I would agree. The women sitting at well, the table... Make sure you make them happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Daddy wants Mommy coming home happy. <laughs> so she picks out whatever she wants when right. it comes to that wine. Uh, you know, so over the years, I was a chef in Boston, and uh, I had an Italian restaurant. I had the Greek restaurant that we were all involved with. And... It was it was a lot of fun, but when I decided to get out of the restaurant business, uh, my mom and dad were older, and they mm -hmm. wanted me to, um, you know, stick around the area and uh, run the run the donut shop. And uh, they decided to turn it over to myself and my siblings. Um, so what I did was just took everything that I knew from being a chef and incorporated it incorporated that into the donut business and i think that was a, a good call and your background as a chef certainly helped because you guys have some awesome donuts thank you so much i appreciate that the um we just you know we we've we've been growing every year we opened up a uh, rest um, excuse me a, um, a donut shop in boston down the financial district and then we opened another one out on uh, Route 1, which is a major highway here in, in uh, the Boston area. And so, so that have, process, we have three right now. Three locations. And that process is uh, all within, um, I would say the growth was probably within the last five years that we opened up a couple of shops. But Keynes has been around for 65 years. Wow. 
It's and an institution. It is an institution. It's an iconic business. Um, and you don't see a lot of 65-year-old businesses Certainly not. Uh, in America. I yeah. mean, you see a lot of these chains that come in and they take over and, and so forth. And, um, you know, we've been able to survive uh, amongst the sea of chains. And the good thing is I think a lot of uh, the younger generations see the value of, like, these iconic old-school places. And they, they, they love that, you mm-hmm. know. They, they, the chains are change, you know, but you see this 65 year old place and it honestly makes like the best donuts ever. I mean, how can they not love it? Well, you know, people come in, they want to get the best of whatever they, they're, they're, uh, buying and they want to make sure that their kids are getting the best. So we try to provide that. We treat every one of the customers coming in the door like their family. And I think that translates through the quality of what, what we put out. Uh, you know, we try to do the best that we can. You have, you have any uh, best sellers, anything that stands out, the anything ne- that a listener can go in and suggest that they try? Sure. It, the number one donut that, that, that we sell is the honey dip donut. That's because my it's, favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's made with real honey. Um, Travel and Leisure magazine a few years ago said, if you want a beignet, you go to the Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans. If you want a glazed donut, you go to Cane's Donuts and get a honey dip donut. Wow. I agree, so, 100%. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, we're really proud about what well, we do. How about, how about Paul, tell us about this uh, gigantic coffee roll. Well, the coffee... Is that the coffee roll that uh, another friend of ours who's a comedian uh, brought it? Where was that? But the first time I saw it, all you remember is the coffee roll. You don't remember anything else but the coffee roll. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So the coffee roll was something that my dad took the regular sized coffee roll and said, look, we're Greek. (laughs) Let's share this. Let's create something that we can share. So he expanded the size of it and said, now, this is something people can take home and cut it and share it with their guests rather than giving some individual piece of pastry yeah. to everyone this is something that that can fit mm-hmm. fit within what my father's framework was of of a shareable treat it's awesome yes. so so okay so so that's that's what paul is up to today um and then you guys did some stuff together i if i recall correctly did you not that was a we, uh, we uh, more greek centric we did a Cooking. couple. We did a couple co- uh, couple projects. Uh, we collaborated together, and we published a um, cookbook called "At the Greek Table." So after we ventured off in our own directions, we still wanted to kind of keep ourselves close and kind of be active with, uh, you know, what we brought to the table at the restaurant. Is we wanted to bring it to the table through a publication called "At the Greek Table," which is appropriately named, right? <laughs> and it featured. Uh, Paul's recipes and Paul your recipes, wine pairs? and I took uh, I took every single uh, recipe that Paul put together and I paired uh, wine with each recipe to help the reader kind of uh, give him some direction of uh, what to have with those you know with and, those uh, meals. Is that cookbook available? It is. It's available through Amazon. Through Amazon, and um, we're proud to say that uh, we've gotten five star reviews from everyone that that has uh, reviewed it on Amazon. So if you guys out there are interested, go to Amazon and uh, search for At the Greek Table. Yes. Correct? Absolutely. And uh, another thing I wanted to kind of bring out to light is that, uh, you know, if I can 
call you chef, uh, like the old days. <laughs> sure. Is uh, you entertain a lot, from what I understand. You bring a lot of guests to the house. You know, he has a great kitchen. You know, as a as a uh, a host, um, you know, how do you go about putting together wines for your guests to come in? Like, what approach do you take when you're when you're hosting? You know, you're gonna have a group of people from all different backgrounds. What is your approach to what wines you're gonna have available that evening or that afternoon for your guests? Well, I think that I like to take a look at what I'm gonna be serving. Yep. Number one. Um, and I always like to start off with something that's a light-styled wine, whether it be a, a, a white or a rosé, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of pair that up with the appetizer portion of the, the meal. And I like to stand around while we're having the appetizer so that people can kind of sure. relax a little bit and talk and sip the wine. You know, and we've, we've got a, a little bar in, in, you know, uh, in my house that, uh, you know, people can stand around and, and they can nibble and, and get to know each other right, when they come in right. the door. And I always like to bring people in that don't always know each other so that, there you, go. you know, they can talk about different things and maybe sometimes they have a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, experiences in common that they that they can discuss. Right. And I think that always makes for an interesting evening. Excellent. Um, but then I like to look at what I'm going through and serving with the next course and... Okay. In that, I determine whether I'm going to go with something that's a little bit heavier relative to the wine or something that's really a full-bodied red wine. Uh, you know, here in America, you know, California cabs are really big. But, you know, there are a lot of uh, other wines that I like to go sure. through, like, uh, you know, different Pinot Grigios, yep. uh, different Pinot Noirs. Right. Uh, it, it all depends on, on so, so what your, I'm serving. So your approach is basically about, it all comes down to... Uh, what you're cooking, right? Yeah, what it's serving. what I'm cooking. But it, but for you know, for the folks out there listening, it's not always about you know, red has to go with meat, right? And white has to go with fish. I like to look at the 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 lightness or the or the depth of a wine, because as many oh. times that I'll I'll say, okay, I have a a real kind of beefy kind of a white wine, let's say. Um, that's really buttery and really oaky, and I think that that can stand up to, like, let's say a pork dish, absolutely, or even a lamb dish. You know what I'm saying, yeah. guys? And and so it doesn't necessarily have to be driven by the old school of right, thought. Right. You know, that's that with that's something I think came about back in the Victorian era. I, I don't oh. know. I'm just saying. It, but I we want to we want to try to explore wine for what it is, and try to pair it up with different things. You don't have to. You don't have to play by the old rules. We're right. living in a modern world. Well, we know. You, we know that it's well tough to make everyone happy. Obviously, when you have a large group that you're hosting and entertaining at the house. So, I'm sure our listening audience would like some tips about you know what's the best approach. And from what we're hearing is you know based on what you're cooking, if you put out wines that are relatively you know parable with the dishes, then your guests should be fine to some extent. Correct? Okay, they should be. But we always have somebody that really wants to go on their own and drink whatever they, you know, like. Like Ari. So I, I oh, yeah. But I always like to make sure that we have a variety of spirits available as sure. well. All right. uh, I know we're at the Urban Wine Club here at the Urban <laughs> Wine Club, but I'm just saying we need to have. We don't discriminate. You no, know, we need to have some spirits <laughs> available for the folks that want to have some right, right. something a little bit, you know, yeah. okay. uh, more in depth in that regard. Um 
I also like to make sure that I have not just the wine that I'm featuring with the different courses of the meal, but maybe a little something. Maybe, Off you know, some of the women like to go with, or some of the guys might want to go with a little bubbly at the beginning. Sure. Mm. Rather than rather than going Bubbles with, uh, yeah. yeah absolutely. And listen, we all like that. You know, it's it's it goes well with a lot of the appetizer stuff, because a lot of the appetizer stuff that we usually find are a little bit more buttery, a little bit more rich, and that's why you only have an appetizer of it. You're not making that the main course. Right. So you want something that can cut through that fattiness, you know, and, and something that you're going to be able to enjoy. Right. So it goes really well on the palate. Mm. Uh, that's what I find. So have a little bit of an assortment. Don't go crazy. Feature the wines that you want to feature, but have something... Because you often, know, in often, reserve. Often enough, I always hear folks that just get overwhelmed, and we overthink it, we overanalyze oh, yeah, sure. it. But I think that if you stick to your guns on what you want, what you're putting out for food, pair a couple of the wines with the food, have something light, something a little rich. I think things will flow just fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, for example, I, I've gone to many an event and party, and what I find the folks will create a cheese platter, for example. And they'll have, like, five different cheeses. You don't need to go to that extent. Right. Put something that's a hard cheese and then put a soft cheese out there. Put a couple of pieces of fruit, whether it's grapes, whether it's some dried apricots, whatever the case may be. Put that out there. And then maybe pick a dried sausage of some some type. Put that on there. Um, Maybe you can have a little... little, uh, Nuts, uh, put that on the plate. Maybe, uh, maybe if you want to deviate, you could put a little bit of a jam on the plate as mm, well. Sounds good. So you know, and, and you want not only crackers. It doesn't have to be crackers. <laughs> you know, you can take and get a French baguette of some sort, or whatever your favorite bread is, and slice that up and let the folks that are at your at your gathering let them enjoy that as well. Nice. Um, a couple of olives on the plate always goes nice, but you don't have to put a multitude of cheeses out there. Sounds like a plan to me. Um, I also uh, have some some questions for you. Sure. Uh, as you know, as a as a avid diner, um, what do you look for in a wine list when you visit a restaurant? What is what are some of the most important things to you when when you're handed the wine list and you open it up? What are you looking for? Consistency. Consistency. Hmm. I like to see that the wine list is going to be consistent relative to the styles of wine. If I'm at, if I'm at say, an, an Italian restaurant, I'd like to see varieties of, of wine that come from Italy right. that are going to pair well with the food. I also like to see some wines from California, again, that are going to pair with, well with the food that is being served at that, at that particular restaurant. Having said that, that doesn't mean I don't like a deep wine list. I do. Sure. I enjoy restaurants that do have a deep wine list. But I think it's easier for the guest when they're going there that they can pick something out right away that's going to go with the food that's in the style of, of food that that restaurant is preparing. I don't know. Does that explain it yeah, clear it does. enough? To you? Absolutely. Um, being out there and dining, do you do you see um, do you, do you see wine programs getting better? Do you see uh, more variety? Um, what are your thoughts on basically when you go out there? You know, how exciting are these wine programs? Um, I see the chef-driven restaurants 
coming up with creative, um, unique wine lists. I see some of the chains starting to explore some of these unique varietals that are out there. And we spoke about Moscofila earlier. Uh, I was just in, I'll name a local chain, if you don't mind, Legal sure. Seafood. Sure. And I think Sandy Block, who runs their Good wine program, yeah, great guy. Uh, he's he's had a bunch of different wines on the list, and he goes out and sources some small vineyards mm -hmm. and, uh, out in uh, California. But also, he's not afraid to go with some of the uh, sure. different varieties that come from different countries that are lesser known. And I just happened to be in there, and it was very pleasurable. I was having a great meal. And I had a glass of Moscofilido that Sandy just happened to be featuring that Excellent. night. Excellent. And I think that by some of these larger chains doing what some of the chef-driven restaurants are doing, it's educating the, the consumer as to what is available out there, what some of these different countries are able to produce. You know, we see a lot of French wine. We see a lot of California wine. We see some wines from Spain. We don't see a lot of wine from Greece. We don't see a lot of wine from Portugal. But we'll take Greece and we'll take Portugal. Wonderful wines coming from both uh, of those countries. Wonderful. And, and, you know, and even down in South America, if you take some of the wines that are coming out of Argentina or, or Chile, mm. phenomenal. Yes, absolutely. And, and really great price points for, for, for people. Yes. Uh, if, you, if you go to your, even a, you know, a local uh, wine shop, they, I'm sure they're carrying some stuff that's that is lesser known, but don't be afraid to try it. I, I totally agree. It's just like you know, years ago, people said to me, "How did you learn about wine?" Well, I would go into one of the little local wine shops in the in the area, and I would see bins of wine that were like you know, buy three wines for sure. for twelve dollars back then. Love those. And and, and I would I would buy three different wines that I never heard, and I would go in and and I would try the different wines. And it's just a great way to teach yourself so you, about what's out there. You're basically saying just keep drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> well, like, listen, I, uh, I, I, I wine is, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, hey. No, you're right. There's, there's something to be said about that. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, listen and read uh, about wine, but obviously it all comes uh, from actually personal experiences. And uh, over time, some folks uh, do get stuck in their comfort zone. So they're just consuming the wines that they're more comfortable with. But the second they kind of branch out, I think things come naturally to them as, as based on being able to differentiate, you know, the different styles that they enjoy. Well, on that note, let me ask you both a question. Um, <clears throat> being the newbie and, you know, the, the least familiar with wines, uh, I'll go into a restaurant. We're and... going to change that. I just want to <laughs> type. Well, We're going to change that. I, that's what I want. <laughs> Perfectly. But... Uh, but for people out there, like you go to a restaurant, if you like, you know, deep, dark uh, reds or you like something light and fruity, or is there any like recommendation yeah. of how to order in a restaurant? I, yes. Like what could you ask? The, like the what easiest, are the right things the, to say? The easiest approach today, and it should have been done years ago, but uh, asking your server to sample whatever is available by the glass is the first uh, approach to um, asking for a recommendation, even though, um, depending on the individual that's uh, serving you, whether it's at the bar, whether it's in the dining room, uh, they can describe wines and they can, um, you know, give their recommendations from a personal perspective, but it doesn't always translate to what you're looking for. Yeah. So my 
recommendation is always ask for a sample of anything that's offered by the glass. And most restaurants, They'll if not you. all, are very open to, to doing so. So that would be the first um, tip or advice, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't right. agree more. Um, some folks get a little, you know, they get a little um, iffy about is it the right thing to do. It well, is, the thing, you know, the thing with me is, uh, my wife constantly asks to sample, good. but it's like after well, two or three, as long it's as you're like, not, as long right. as you're not sampling the same wine over and over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> they might be doing that. Right, but uh, yes. But I always wonder, like, is is it? She always asks for bold. Thick and dark. Is that like? Are those the right terms for her? Yes, because it's all about the the, the mouth feel. Yeah, it's all about texture. So that's fine. I mean, there's no right or wrong when it's describing from your personal perspective yeah. what you like, even though you don't know the quote unquote proper terminology. Yeah, but it's it's all personal preference, right? So well, that's good to know. It's good for for those that, the professionals that mm -hmm. are in the industry. Uh, to understand where they're coming from, even though they're not using "quote unquote" the correct. Oh terms, yeah, right? yeah. No, I, I just, I just want to explain something to to the listeners out there, and most of the listeners are probably familiar with with uh, dairy products. Mm -hmm. mm. So there's a level of viscosity or thickness. So when you go to try wines, you can start off with the skim milk <laughs> version. Which would be the Sauvignon Blanc. Hmm. You can work your way all up to the heavy cream, which would be that big, beefy California Cabernet. And we know that that's got a certain unctuousness. Hmm. It's got that creaminess to it. And I look at coffee the same way, guys. Yeah. I take coffee the same way. A breakfast blend is like the skim milk. That's like what you find at one of the big chain stores. It's something that's easy for people to drink. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go to some of the beefier blends, the, the darker roasts, not necessarily burnt like one of the other chains likes to do, <laughs> but um, a darker roast, that tends to be more creamier as far as coffee goes, more beefy. And people that drink black coffee would understand that mm -hmm. um, by what I'm saying. Foti being one of them. Um, so you have to look at when people say thick when it comes to wine, they want that one that's going to be more like the heavy cream, yeah. more like the Cabernet. When you want to go to the light style, you want something that's like the breakfast blend, yeah. like the skim milk. It's, you know, it's the viscosity. It's that thickness. Somewhere in the middle mm. is going to be, you, you know, your... Your uh, your Merlot or your your light cream. Yeah. So that's where you that's where you take that approach. I don't know if if that's clear enough, but I hope you folks. No, 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 yeah, it, it makes great, sense. Great you know, that's the analogies that I can yeah. I can you because know, give you. my wife and I have like opposite tastes. She loves the bull, the the heavy cream of the wines. Yeah, and, and I like the lighter, fruitier, smoother. That suits you, right? Yeah. You know, absolutely. I always have Fati order for me when we go anywhere, because he knows best. And on that, and uh, just one more note about the, the fact that when you ask for samples, and uh, don't be shy if it doesn't work for you, you don't like it. You know, don't. Well, that, that's an important point yeah. because it gets to the point where, like, I'm like, all right, honey, you've tried three. That's enough. Pick one. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, just saying, like, if if you're offered a sample to try, and you're at that moment where everyone's looking at you as you're sipping the wine to see if you like it. If it doesn't work for you, don't feel uh, obligated or awkward that 
you know, no, this and is be not confident in what you want. Yeah, because let's face it, um, you know, today dining out um, has become kind of pricey. Oh yeah. And uh, statistically, you know, we're spending an average of twelve to fifteen bucks a glass. So yeah. it adds yeah. up pretty quickly. So why should you be stuck with a fifteen dollar glass of wine that you're you're struggling oh, to finish? Good point. Right? Yeah. Interesting. Anytime I have a struggle to finish anything, my wife just grabs the glass and says, I'll take care of that, honey. There you go. Well, you know, we need more people like that to back us up. <laughs> so, Paul, uh, Fati and I both know about your history in the restaurant world. Why don't you just give us a brief uh, uh, description of your history? Well, Ari, I have I've, uh, grew up in the restaurant uh, business, and uh, I come from a long line of uh, chefs, uh, grandfathers on both sides but uh you know i, I pretty much well it's it, paul it's more than just that um you can't discount the fact that uh you probably have either cooked side by side or competed against some of the best chefs that we know in today's uh, culinary world um, just from what i remember with working with you You've been side by side with the greats such as Ming Tsai and Emeril Lagasse. Oh wow! Marion Esposito, and Iron Chef Michael Psilakis on the Food Network. I remember we did a dinner together with him. I mean, that alone is uh, you know something to be proud of. Besides, I, you know, just cooking in the restaurant business. Well, you know, I've I've either been at events with with uh, and, and 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 worked with you know some of them, but. Uh, you know, for me, it's it's always about trying to be humble uh, and, and not trying to be a uh, somebody. Which is great. Yeah, but... but I've always tried to stay humble. Uh, that's the way I was raised. Um, but, you know, some of the accomplishments, I've, I've been a guest chef down at Disney World during their Food and Wine Festival. I've cooked at the Naples Food and Wine Festival with Chef Marian Esposito from Chow Italia. Uh, I've appeared at the James Beard House as that one of the featured fantastic. chefs. Wow. You know, and we did a, a dinner that was strictly based on small plates in Greek. It's called meze. Uh, so that was, uh, those are a couple of the things. Um, I've gotten picked as... Uh, as you've traveled around the world. I have, you've I have. I, I don't want to discount the fact that, you know, you've uh, you worked at some of the uh, most luxurious resorts in Crete, Alunda Beach. You've cooked in Italy. Um, I, I've, I've had the... We pleasure. can go on and on, I think, right? You, so, you can, but again, uh, you know... I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of wonderful people over the years, and I think that this is one of the things about being a chef. You get to cook, you get to work with, and you get to put a smile on a lot of people's faces. That's the takeaway, in my opinion. It's, <laughs> um, you know, it's, there's nothing more fulfilling and gratifying when uh, you see uh, full bellies and big smiles. <laughs> you know, for me, uh, I'll just go back and say one example of when I had my little Italian restaurant, Paolo Stretteria, in Charlestown, we used to enjoy having people wait outside, rain, snow, no matter what the weather condition was, three and a half hour waits. Wow. And, you know, for me to see people waiting that long to eat the food that I prepared was probably the ultimate high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and not to... You know, be a braggart because I, I, I really don't like that. But but between friends here, I you could tell us. I put the best foot forward with everything. My wife was manning the front of the house, and when folks were coming in, they were waiting in line. 
she would pour them a couple of ounces of whatever wine that we had featured that night, and they would sip that while they were waiting in line. And we had a wood-fired oven there, and we would uh, make a pizza and cut it into little 16 little slices and let everybody have a little taste of something. Um, people would, would come by the kitchen just to say hi, and if I saw them out there, I'd throw a handful of shrimp in the frying pan with a little bit of oil and garlic and some wine and butter and then stick toothpicks in it, and <laughs> we'd hand those out to the customers while they were waiting in line. That's a nice experience. I think hospitality is the biggest thing, and I think that's the key to succeeding in the restaurant world today. You need to treat every guest like their family. Well said. All right, everyone. You've been listening to Urban Wine Club Podcast. Our, our uh, guest was Paul Delios. Make sure to check out Kane's Donuts. Make sure to check out the cookbook on Amazon at the Greek Table. Uh, get some donuts. Uh, you will not regret it. Um, Kane'sDonuts.com. And you can find their locations, addresses, everything. I want to thank Paul again. I want to thank my co-host, Foti. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.